You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. I invite you to take a seat this morning and uh, turn with me in your uh, Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're just going to dive right in today. Uh, This is the most amazing uh, truth you will ever hear, and so I don't want any preambles. Let's just get into it. Luke chapter 24. If you're here this morning, you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. We are eager to get you a copy of God's Word. Put your hand up. No shame. Uh, Put your hand up, and one of the ushers will get you a copy of God's Word. And if uh, you don't have one at home, happy Easter. This is our gift to you. Easter gift, best Easter gift you could ever get. Better than a big old bunny, this is the best Easter gift you can ever get because this is the one that will show you uh, the way to Jesus Christ, reveal Jesus to you. Uh, So Luke chapter 24, if you can all turn there. And as you do, will you just say a quick prayer in your heart? Jesus, will you make yourself real to me today from your word? Just say that as you open up. We are going to look at the resurrection story because it's Easter Sunday and because this is the life-transforming truth that we are all here to celebrate If I were to ask you what Easter's about, you'd all know the answer. Even if you've never been to church before, you know the answer. It's about Jesus being alive and the tomb being empty, amen? Let's be honest this morning. Even if you just say those words, there's something about the resurrection of Jesus that is, it's so confounding to our limited, finite human understanding. Anyone ever confounded by the reality of the resurrection? This whole idea of like, can it really be true? Ever thought that before? Okay, just the pastors thought that before. Thanks for leaving me hanging already on Easter Sunday. It's true, right? It's just so mind-boggling. It's like, can this truly be real? One of the things I love to do as a kid is read those Ripley's Believe It or Not stories, you know, those stories that are too crazy to be true but are actually true. And so lately, I just, in the last couple weeks, I just started looking at some of those Ripley's Believe It or Not stories again, these mind-boggling truths that there's no way it can be true, but it's true. And came across this story, a guy by the name of uh, Michael let me find his name here, Michael Alito, and he's been known as Monsieur Mange Tout, Mr. Eats Everything, Mr. Eats a Lot. And now Monsieur Mange Tout was born with this odd stomach, this very thick lining, this unreal digestive system uh, that he could digest anything, including scrap metal. You're like, no, he couldn't. Yes, he could. In fact, the reason the airplane is behind him is because he ate an airplane piece by piece, and I'm not even lying and digested the whole thing. My mind doesn't even comprehend putting anything foreign in my lips. Chocolate I can get, airplanes no way. Listen to this, Mr. Lolito, uh, obviously from France, uh, ate also in his lifetime 18 bicycles, seven TVs, two beds, 15 supermarket trolleys, a computer, a coffin, handles and all, a pair of skis and six chandeliers. Believe it or not, it's true. Ridiculous. Here's another one I came across, this guy named Chandra uh, Oriana. I can't even pronounce his name, but that's okay. It's as good as it gets. Now, he's an Indian man that was born with a tail. As he grew, the tail grew 14 inches long. There he is. See the tail? It's not even a fable. It's true. It's a congenital deformity, uh, kind of along the line of spina bifida. As you can imagine, it's very, 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 very rare. The Hindus believe that he might be a reincarnation of the monkey god. Go figure. He even climbs trees for a living. Named Hanuman. Like, it can't happen. No human being has a tail. It's true. You know, the the most mind-boggling reality that is hard to wrap our minds around but is absolutely true, just like these things are true. You don't believe me, the picture there. You know another mind-boggling reality that we celebrate right now? It's it's Jesus Christ. But just because our minds can't comprehend it doesn't mean it's not true. Jesus Christ, God, God himself, God the Father, sending his son to this earth to live as fully man and fully God at the same time. What? It's true to die this horrible, wicked death, only three days later be, to rise again, that we could all have the opportunity to know him and to experience eternal life in Jesus. This is hard to understand, but let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it is fact today. This is why the world celebrates Easter. It doesn't matter what part of the world you are from. Easter is the reality that Jesus is alive and he continues to change the world one life at a time. The resurrection is the premier of, 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 of importance to the Christian faith. 
It's crucial to Luke and Christology and the theme of Luke 24, as well as a central tenet of the book of Acts when the church got started and the New Testament era. And so I'm going to invite you to join me this morning and to encounter this living Jesus as we just simply look at, uh, believe it or not, the whole chapter of Luke 24. Sometimes I preach 45 minutes on one verse. Today we're going the whole chapter, so buckle up. I encourage you to take notes this morning because I want you to come back and ponder these things. These are our reality as believers. If you're not a believer today, this can be your reality this morning. First thing I'd like you to write in your notes if you're taking notes is simply this. Believe it. Believe it. Jesus is alive. Believe it. Jesus is alive. If you were with us on Friday, we just finished up Luke 23 on Friday. And so we left Jesus hanging on a cross, declared dead. Uh, Joseph, a religious man of Arimathea, uh, taking him off the cross and burying him in his tomb. The women coming and, and putting spices on him. There's no embalmers in the day. The women putting spices on him as a way to honor him so his body wouldn't uh, stink of decay, rotten flesh, just to honor Jesus. Well, the Luke 24 starts with the women again coming back to the grave. This is significant. doesn't seem like anything big to you, but, but already this, is, this isn't the way you'd write the story if this was made up because back in Jesus' day, the women had no street cred. In other words, the women's involved, they'd be like, ah, it's not true. She had she, no, no, they just didn't believe women had any authority. It's so backwards, isn't it? But yet we see throughout the whole Easter narrative this, these women coming to prominence. And so here's how Easter Sunday starts after they buried Jesus. Saturday's the Sabbath back in that day. And so you can imagine probably a lot of sleepless nights for those that love Jesus. And just like you and I, when we lose a loved one, it's just restless. Your heart's heavy and you can't sleep and you're antsy and you're just trying to comprehend it all. And where, how could this happen? And I can't imagine life without him. And so Easter morning, Sunday morning after the Sabbath is over, first thing, crack of dawn, these women jump up and they still have their spice. They're going to go and anoint his body with spices again. And so as they get to the uh, tomb, they find, though, the unexpected. Read with me. On the first day of the week, it's Sunday, early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found, get this, the stone rolled away from the tomb. Already an unexpected weekend. No one expected Jesus to die, like those who knew him and knew his claims. Like, he's not going to die. They're not going to. They killed him. This weekend got even more upside down. They got to the tomb and it's, it's empty. Everything they didn't expect. They expected a big stone in front of the tomb. They expected the body there. The, to- the stone's gone. Remember there was guards around the stone that would lose their lives if anyone got near the body? And to their shock, it's empty. Again, can you imagine with me going to the graveside of someone that you've just buried and you've watched them take their last breath and you knew they were gone and you get to the graveside a few days later and there's a big mound of dirt and the coffin's open and you're like, wow, what in the world? Even harder to open a tomb. If you look at the picture of the tomb here on the screen, uh, see the little rivets on the bottom? There's a big 2,000 pound stone that was rolled over the entrance to the tomb and so to move this stone, you have to roll it up the bit of an upgrade and uh, it just wasn't going to happen. And so the women are like, what, what's going on? To top it all off, two men show up. Two men show up that were dazzling. The women are perplexed. What, what's going on? Things that make you go, hmm. Behold, two men showed up in dazzling apparel. This isn't talking about them being bedazzled with sprinkles and glitter. Like they're dazzling. They're, they're, they're shining like the sun. And Ever met somebody like that? Yeah, me neither. You know why? Because this is a divine, this is God showing us, this is a divine encounter. Words are picked very purposefully in the Bible. And when God appears to people, there's no shadow of a doubt that this is a God encounter. These are angels. So the women, knowing that, man, there's something significant, that this is not, not, not normal, they bow down probably in fear of like fear, like real fear, but also in reverence and awe. And the angel, look, the angel's looking at them. They basically ask a really relevant question. Look at verse 5. Why in the world do you seek the living among the dead? You're looking for a person who's alive. Why would you come to a cemetery? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and must be crucified and on the third day arise? This is both a correction and a proclamation of the angel. Correction like fixing their thinking, but also a proclamation. Here's the proclamation. Jesus is alive. quiet. Jesus is alive. We're not talking about the way we sometimes talk about somebody being alive. Oh, their memory's going to live on in my heart. 
I know Jesus is alive and his carpentry tools. And every time I look at his tools, I think of Jesus. Or Jesus is alive in the tree. I'm going to plant my backyard in his honor. That's not the type of alive they're talking about. They're talking about physically living and breathing and functioning like every person in this room today. Jesus physically rose from the dead. Probably so saddened by Good Friday and stunned by Easter Sunday morning, they're unable to process this. They're unable to register, and all of a sudden the lights go on. They're like, oh, yeah, he did say so. In fact, three times in the book of Luke, Jesus predicted his own death and his own burial and his own resurrection. Again, nobody we know has ever done that. Harry Houdini did, and we're still waiting for him to appear somewhere. His wife waited for years. Jesus, in Luke chapter 9.22 and 9.44 and 18.32 to 33, uh, told us, told his disciples and his followers, I'm going to die, they're going to bury me, and I'm going to raise again. Women are all excited at this point. They run to tell the disciples. I'm just going to summarize this for you. Get to the disciples, the 11 now, because Judas is long gone, right? He's the betrayer, long gone. 11, all huddled in a locked room, as we learn from other gospels. And, and they're like, we went to the tomb, and it's empty, it's empty. And the disciples are like, what well, we would think, okay, ladies, you're going a little like, woohoo, had any sleep in the last few days? The Bible says they thought it was an idle tale. They couldn't believe it. So Peter, remember Peter, type A Peter? He's the guy who's like, Jesus, I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. And, and then the, come to get Jesus, and he tries to cut the guy's head off and only got his ear. And then he did deny Jesus three times. He's bold and he's brash. He runs to the tomb. He's probably pretty fit too. He runs to the tomb. He stoops in, and sure enough, nobody is there. Even the disciples couldn't have orchestrated this. They were just as shocked as anybody's. We're going to learn as the story goes. The truth of the matter is this morning, brothers and sisters, whether you believe it or not, Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. He is not there. He's conquered the grave. He's triumphed over sin and death, and he reigns supreme today. You know, this is hard for us to get our little minds around, and so people have come up for years, come up with uh, other alternatives for years. No one can refute the fact that Jesus lived. No one refutes the fact that, and that he died and how he died, but this whole idea of him raising God, we gotta come up with some ideas about this because there's no way it could happen. So many people believe, maybe you here this morning, this is just a flat out lie. It's a lie. They're fibbing. Like, come on, dead is dead. Like, it's final, it's over. There's no coming back. Let me remind you of this. If this is a flat out lie, the religious leaders of the day and also the Roman government would do everything possible to find that body and prove it false. To prove that, that he's not alive. Remember, they went to such great lengths to hang him on a cross. They were going to do whatever it takes to stop this Jesus fella. And they didn't. Remember, they put him on public display on the cross. They'd, they'd find him and put him on public display again. They didn't. Think about this. The disciples are just average guys. Like, like they weren't these smart conspiracy guys. They were just like fishermen and, and average schmoes. To top it all off, every one of the disciples, except for John, died a horrible death just like Jesus or worse. Can you imagine if you're the last disciple standing and all your buddies have died, these horrible deaths, I think you'd probably crack, right? Okay, it wasn't true, just don't kill me. Like Peter, upside down in a cross, just don't do it. But you know what? They all went to their death. It's not a lie, it was worth dying for. Others believe it's a far-fetched myth. That's like a modern-day Marvel comic or an ancient mythical gods, you know, great entertainment, but we're enlightened today. We don't believe some of those things today. Let me show you some reasons why this cannot be a far-fetched myth. One is the historical reliability. Truth stands the test of time. Myths take years to develop. Philip's, or sorry, Paul's creedal formula was from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 5, said this, Christ died, was buried, and rose on the third day. This dates to within six years of Jesus' death. Myths take years to develop. We make something up today that's just in relative past. We're like, you're lying. There's no way. Six years later, Paul's declaring this, and this is true. Stands the test of time, and it stands out when we even consider how the alternative naturalistic explanations come, the conspiracy theories, the hallucination theories, the legend theories. None of these things account for all the details that make up the resurrection narratives. It's just impossible. That's why we're still celebrating today. Consider this also, this far-fetched myth idea. The pagan world of that day didn't believe in the resurrection. 
Oh, just like the Egyptian gods and the Greek gods, they didn't even believe in the resurrection in the pagan world. In fact, Paul in Acts 17, they're making fun of him. Like, you believe in a resurrection? Who do you think you are? A loser? There's no parallels to even the pagan world. Even some would say that this is just like the Egyptian gods, uh, and this is borrowed from the Egyptian pagan thought. The one that Jesus is most commonly attributed to is parallels him as the Egyptian god Osiris. And yet Osiris, scholars are quick to point out that in Egyptian mythology, Osiris never raised from the dead. He was king of the underworld. There was no concept of this whole raised from the dead thing in the Greek and Hebrew and and Egyptian legends. It's also important to note this as we think of myths that this can't be a myth that the Jewish faith believed in a final resurrection which was given to them by God, life after death. They didn't need to borrow any pagan thoughts. They had their own ideas from God. But the reality is, nowhere in the Christian world that there's ever a thought of, could somebody raised from the dead before the final resurrection before God? This all came about through Jesus' life. Remember, he raised Lazarus, but only Lazarus is going to die again. And then through Jesus' life, this all became firm in fact, this whole resurrection from the dead thing through Jesus Christ. The only adequate explanation for the belief in a resurrection from the dead is Jesus' ministry and resurrection. This is faithful truth. This is faithful truth. It's not a flat-out lie. It's not a far-fetched myth. This is faithful truth. I ask myself as I read this, how could they miss this? How could they possibly miss this? Ask myself, how can we miss this? They had a partial view. We have the whole history to show us. We can't afford to miss it. God started talking about the Messiah in the Old Testament. There's prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus, a thousand years before he was born in the Psalms. That he would not see decay, Psalm 16. That he would not go to Sheol. He's going to be raised from the dead. Uh, Psalm chapter 22, another messianic psalm. Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus was born. is talking about a Messiah not seeing death. Think about some of the stories in the Old Testament. That our typologies are pointing us to the fact that Jesus Christ is going to raise from the dead. Some say Daniel's typology of Jesus. The story of Daniel. Remember Daniel? Such a devout man and bowing to Jesus three times a day and he wasn't supposed to. What did they do with him? They threw him in the pit of death where he could not come up from. What did God do? He shut the lion's mouths and not too long after, they're pulling him out of the pit to the land of the living. Showing us what Jesus was going to do. Typology. Here's another great typology that Jesus says is an actual typology of him from the Old Testament. Jonah, the sign of Jonah. Matthew chapter 12. We know that story, right? Jonah's wrestling with his calling, and so he runs away, and he spends a couple nights in Chateau Whale Blubber. Free. Only to have that whale, like, gag him up and spit him back in the land of the living. Jesus is like, hey, that's just foreshadowing. Oh, that couldn't happen, right? There's no way. Yeah, just like a guy couldn't eat an airplane, and the guy wouldn't grow a 14-inch tail. Jesus said, that's a foreshadowing of what I'm going to do for real in a spiritual realm, in a physical realm. Think of the Gospels. The Gospels, they all predict and record the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Four different eyewitnesses. You try having a conversation with four different people to get the same story straight. You just don't. It's always contradictions. Four different eyewitnesses. One story, they come together in perfect cohesion. The rest of the New Testament all hinges on this reality of Jesus' resurrection and how we live by faith as we look for Christ to come back. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to believe this is true for it to be true. It doesn't matter what you believe about it. Your belief doesn't make something true or not true. How many years did people think that the earth was flat? Well, I believe it. I cares. This is true, whether you believe it or not. Jesus Christ is alive. He's conquered death, overcome sin, and for all who put their hope and their faith in him, they too shall conquer sin and overcome death and have eternal life. With his resurrection, Jesus took his place in history. He passed from the time of humiliation to his time of exaltation as Lord and Jesus Christ. This is what it says in Acts 2, 33 to 35, and Acts 5, verses 30 to 31. In history, Jesus Christ stands alone. 
If you're a believer today, these truths are just burning within you. You know it's true. The spirit right now, your heart's pumping, your eyes are getting big with, with excitement. Maybe you got a lump in your throat. Man, my God's alive, amen? If you're not a believer today, I encourage you to say a little prayer. Jesus, if this is true, I need to know because this is life or death for me. I need you to show me if this is true. If it's true, this changes everything for me. It changes my whole perspective, my whole life. And if it's not true, we may as well all go home. If you don't believe this morning, you say a little prayer for me right now. God, if the rest of this, if this is true, just help me see this through the rest of this sermon. Got to keep going because we have a whole chapter to go. Oh, my goodness. Point number two, if you're writing your notes, is this. Be ready. Jesus wants to meet with you. Be ready. Jesus wants to meet with you. Not in this spooky sort of sitting around the campfire like, ooh, Jesus wants to meet with you. Jesus wants to meet with you this morning. The next passage here on the road to Emmaus, verses 13 to 35, this is unique to Luke and a very important story um, in, the, in the gospel narratives of Jesus Christ's authentic, authentication that he's alive. On the road to Emmaus that very day that all this is going down, two of them are going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. So there's two, two guys, random guys, are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is uh, seven miles or 11 kilometers. It's a good two and a half, two, two and a half hour walk if you're just kind of cruising along. And they're walking along and they're having a discussion about, I'm just going to summarize this for you. They're having a discussion about these things of Jesus, you know, and they're like, you know, could it be true? I mean, we, we saw him die. Could it be true? And is this a national inquirer thing or is this for real? Are these ladies gone loony? Disciples lost their knot, or is this for real? So as they're walking along, Jesus shows up. Pretty cool, hey? Joins the conversation, yet God blinded their eyes from seeing his true identity. They just thought it was another regular guy. Again, proof that he was physically rose from the dead. Why did God do that? God did that so he could hand Jesus the microphone so Jesus could have a, tell the full story to them and without getting all the distractions in. So Jesus is saying, hey, what's going on, guys? And they're looking at him like, where have you been playing Xbox in your mom's basement all weekend? <laughs> Sorry if I'm offending you for that. <laughs> your head in the sand? They go on to tell like the, the whole narrative of what just happened. Uh, one of them named Cleopas, this is just reminding us, it's not one of the disciples. This is another, another uh, viewing of Jesus, not by his very close friends, so that's Giving credence is not just a made-up story. They answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happen these days? Jesus says very slyly, well, what things? Like he doesn't know everything. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, this is a key verse. You can highlight this one, verse 19. This is, I think, the main reason of the story. This is another verse here, why it's here. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, it's really showing us what the people thought of Jesus and who he really is. Jesus they say, is a prophet, which he is a prophet. It's actually 133 prophets in the Bible that are named prophets. But Jesus isn't just a prophet. He is the prophet. What's a prophet do? Well, a prophet advocates for God or speaks for God. He's like God's spokesman. A prophet, of course, is also one who is a, called a seer, who foresees the future. And of all the people in the Bible that did this, Jesus did it perfectly perfectly spoke for God, perfectly saw the future, and he preached with power and authority and authenticity. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the greatest prophet, even better than Moses. Even better than Moses. Why is that? Because in Jesus, God came and tabernacled himself in human flesh. All the while, teaching and proclaiming and healing and exhibiting power over the spiritual realm, the natural realm, the physical realm, the emotional realm. Showing you the identity of Jesus. He's not just a regular guy. He's, a, he's God's, God's son. He's a prophet. Look at verse 20. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. Who's really responsible for the death of Jesus? The religious leaders. Look at verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They thought everything hinged on Jesus. That he was going to give them redemption. Deliver and redeem the Jews from their, their um, enemies. And Jesus was the one that was going to make Israel great again. Maybe they had the hats, not mega hats, but mega hats. Make Israel great again. You know, you kind of sense the sadness, like our hopes. They were there, but now they're all gone. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they did not see. But him they did not see. Here's where Jesus kicks in. Verse 25, and he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, you foolish ones. Clearly they were followers in some realm of Jesus and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And Jesus looking at them like, really, really? You know the Old Testament? You know the Old Testament? It's filled with prophecies about the Messiah. Clearly I'm him. How can you not see? One Jewish scholar says 456 passages in the Old Testament point to Jesus. The Messiah, point to the Messiah, which 300 prophecies in those 456 passages are all fulfilled or yet to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Chances of that are one in, t- one in 10 to the power of 157. What's that even mean? Like, zero possibility. But it's true. She's like, oh, you foolish ones, you foolish ones. And so, again, summarizing here for the sake of time. He goes on, he says, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Look at verse 27. Here's another reason why this passage is here, I'm pretty convinced. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, here's what Jesus, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus basically said, hey, you you want a theology lesson, fellas? Like, let me start in Genesis and let's work right through the Old Testament. It all points to me. So he's about to be a pretty enthralling dialogue, don't you think? They get to where they're going, Emmaus, and Jesus pretends like he's going to keep walking. They're like, no, stay with us, stay with us. So Jesus comes back, and they break bread together. As soon as they broke bread together, all of a sudden it was like, boom, the scales were off their eyes. It's Jesus. He vanishes. <laughs> the two guys are like, okay, now what? They run back to Jerusalem. Remember, they just walk two and a half hours. They run back to Jerusalem and to tell the disciples. And we have this story here, and what's it all mean? Their eyes are, look at verse, we'll we'll just stop here for now. There's so much to say about this. Look at verse 27 again. This is crucial, especially for some of you guys who want to throw out the Old Testament and say, you know, the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. It's just like whatever. Old Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. What's Jesus doing right here? He's affirming everything that's said in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus Christ. And he's interpreting them, all the scriptures, and he's telling them, he's telling them, don't you see, I am the Messiah, and I haven't come just to redeem Israel, I've come to bring the kingdom of God. It was by his death and his life that he accomplished the redemption and the resurrection sealed this new covenant that God was having between himself and mankind. Resurrected Jesus tells the two on the road to Emmaus what he wants to tell us today is that God's plans and purposes for all of humanity revolve all around one person, Jesus Christ. The whole Bible is written around one person, Jesus Christ. What's all pointing to? You miss Jesus, you miss it all. Not just some good lessons, not some good things to think about. It's pointing to Jesus. Miss Jesus, miss them all. You want to see how Jesus is throughout... Genesis to Revelation, one scholar put it down for us very simply. Let me help you see how Jesus is in every single book of the Bible. Buckle up for this. It's fascinating. Here's Jesus in the Bible. Genesis, he's the creator and the promised redeemer. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. In Numbers, he's the water in the desert. In Deuteronomy, he becomes the curse for us. In Joshua, he's the commander of the army of the Lord. In Judges, he delivers us from injustice. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he's all in one. He is the prophet, priest, and king. In 2 Samuel, he is the king of grace and love. In 1 Kings, he's a ruler greater than Solomon. In 2 Kings, he's a powerful prophet, the powerful prophet. In 1 Chronicles, he's the son of David that is coming to rule. In 2 Chronicles, he's the king who reigns eternally. In Ezra, he's the priest proclaiming freedom. In Nehemiah, the one who restores what is broken down. In Esther, the protector of his people. In Job, the mediator between God and man. In Psalms, wisdom. Ecclesiastes, our meaning for life. Are you getting this? Song of Solomon, he's the author of faithful love. In Isaiah, he's a suffering servant. In Jeremiah, the weeping Messiah. Lamentations, he assumes God's wrath for us. 
In Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In Daniel, he's the stranger in the fire with us. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband, even when we run away. In Joel, he is sending his spirit to his people. In Amos, in Amos, he's the justice to the oppressed. In Obadiah, he's the judge of those who do evil. In Jonah, he's the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. In Micah, he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. In Nahum, he proclaims future world peace we cannot even imagine. In Habakkuk, he crushes injustice. In Zephaniah, he's the warrior who saves. In Haggai, he restores our worship. In Zechariah, he prophesies a Messiah pierced for us. In Malachi, he's a son of righteousness who brings healing, and this is just the Old Testament. In Matthew, he's the Messiah who's king. In Mark, the Messiah who is a servant. In Luke, the Messiah who is a deliverer. In John, the Messiah who is God in the flesh. In Acts, a spirit who dwells in his people. In Romans, the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, the power and the love of God. In 2 Corinthians, he is the down payment for what's to come. In Galatians, he's our very life. Ephesians, he's the unity of our church. In Philippians, the joy of our souls. In Colossians, he holds a supreme position in all things. In 1 Thessalonians, our comfort in the very last days. In 2 Thessalonians, he's our returning king. First Timothy, he's savior of the worst of sinners. Second Timothy, he's a leader of leaders. In Titus, he's the foundation of truth. In Philemon, he's our mediator. In Hebrews, our high priest. In James, he matures our faith. In First Peter, our hope in times of suffering. In Second Peter, the one who guards us from false teaching. In First John, the source of all fellowship. In Second John, God in the flesh. In Third John, the source of all truth. In Jude, he protects us from stumbling. And in Revelation, in the great revelation, he's the king of all kings, the lord of all lords, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He is coming again and the one who will make all things new. Whew! This is our living king. And he's not just reigning in heaven, controlling the universe on his throne. He wants to have a living encounter with each of us. Our creator, sustainer, wants to meet us face to face. This is what we learn from the road to, from the men on the road to Emmaus. He wants to meet us face to face. Jesus' greatest plan for your lives revolve around you meeting him in the way that these two men did. Look at verse 30. His greatest plan for our lives revolves around him. Look at verse 30. Signs that you've met Jesus. Not just in a religious sort of way, but you've truly met him. This is what Jesus wants to do in our lives as he meets with us. Even today, he's, he's, he's here, present by his Holy Spirit to meet with us. Look at, what, look at what he wants to do in our lives. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Verse 31, their eyes were opened. He wants to open our heart to have spiritual fellowship with himself. God is a God who is a, like a perfect heavenly father who wants to have a relationship and fellowship or communion with his kids. Verse 31, he opens their eyes to see. God wants to open your eyes to see him clearly. He wasn't just a good guy. He's God. He's the son of God. Look at verse 32. Look what it says. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened, us, opened up to us the scriptures? How do you know if you've truly encountered Jesus? Your hearts burn with passion as you hear the word of God, as you read the word of God. It's not just a book to us anymore. It's the voice of God. He wants to give you a whole new perspective on his word. He wants to open our hearts, verse 34, to fully believe. Look at verse 34. These guys are like, what's happening? Look at the end of this. The Lord has risen, and he's risen what? That was a week indeed. The Lord has risen, he's risen, and he has appeared to Simon. He wants you to truly know him, not to be an acquaintance, but to know him and live in him and live with him. Is that your reality today? Your eyes opened, your hearts burn with truth? 
Do you want to know God? Do you want to love God? If you've met him, you're like, amen, amen, amen. If you haven't met him, you're like, what are you, what are you talking about? This is why you're here this morning. This is why you're here in this room this morning, because God's chasing you down. You walked along your little journey of life, and God's like, no, no, you can't go any farther. You need to see Jesus. You're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. Don't miss it. You need to see Jesus. Praying we all see Jesus today. Look at the last point here quickly, verse 36 to the end. It's the greatest reality. How do we respond to this? Worship Jesus. You know why? Because he makes our lives complete. Worship Jesus. He makes our lives complete. Verse 36 As they were talking about these things, now his disciples, Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace to you. We know from other passages of scripture, the disciples now are in a locked room. So they're not these brave, bashful, they're not these brave men, they're bashful men. They're not brave. They're, they're in this locked room, cowering, going like, man, we, they just killed our leader now. What, are we all going to die too? Women say he's alive. These two friends of ours say he's alive. Can it be true? And all of a sudden, like, Jesus shows up like, Hello? Disciples are like, Ugh. Paul, I thought you locked the door. I did. Jesus is like, close your, mouth, close your mouth, fellas. You're looking pretty silly right now. Not very smart. And they're all like, well, what in the world? And Jesus is like, you know what? I can see the, the dumbfounded look on your face. Why don't you just come and see? Just come and see. Touch my hands. Want to see my feet too? Want to put your hand right where the spear went? Look at verse 41. They still disbelieved for joy. They're so excited. Can this be true? You know those times where you're like, it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. That's what's happening here. Then they gave Jesus a piece of broiled fish. He's probably like, hey, guys, got any food around here? I haven't eaten in like four days. Again, you don't eat with a ghost. It's true. He's alive. Then he goes in verse 44 to kind of unwrap for them all he did, unpack for them all he did for the two on the road to Emmaus. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Like, I don't think it's even a chastisement. Like, you morons, how can you not see this? It's more like, guys, guys, remember I told you all these things. Remember? Everything written about me in the law of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and the prophets. We know the prophets and the Psalms. All must be fulfilled, and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See how Jesus does this? He opens our minds to understand the scriptures. We can't open our own minds. Jesus opens our minds. We can't have understanding of the scriptures without Christ. Then he told them the story again. This it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance, get this, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You, my friends, are going to be my witnesses in this. Disciples are like, ah, yes, sir. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Can you imagine getting blessed by the king of the universe? This is awesome. And he parted from them and was carried up into the heavens. Verse 52, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple blessing God. I love the end of this. It's not just that Jesus wants to just simply meet us. He wants to bring us eternal life. He wants to bring us eternal life. Let me just unpack for you five quick things in this text here that, that shows what Jesus brings with him when he brings eternal life. It's not just the day we die, we go to heaven. That's going to be sweet, but there's so much. Eternal life starts the moment you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. His spirit abides in you, and he gives you life. Look what Jesus says. This is, look at some practical implications from this whole reality of Jesus being alive in the lives of the disciples. Look what he says first in verse um, 36. Here's what Jesus brings you. When you put your hope and faith in Jesus, a living Jesus, he brings you this. What's that word? Peace to you. He brings you peace. In Jesus, you'll discover true peace. I know some of you are thinking, well, why would I even want to follow Jesus? Here's what Jesus brings. Salvation from sin, freedom from guilt and shame, relationship with your God. He brings you peace. What kind of peace? First and foremost, the kind of peace you need that you can't get anywhere else. Peace with God himself, which leads to peace within you, which leads to peace with other people. Jesus comes and his living life gives you peace truth is we've all we were all born as 
enemies of God, antagonists of God. And Jesus Christ comes when we turn in by faith and repentance. He breaks down that antagony in our hearts towards God, that rebellious spirit. And God is rightfully upset with humankind for rebelling against him. It's like a good father is upset with their son when they run the other way. It creates this dissonance, and God is rightly upset with that. And so there's going to be judgment upon us for running away from God. Jesus says, you come to me, and I will bridge this gap between you and God. I'll bring peace between him and you, which will then in turn bring your soul peace that you simply cannot find anywhere else. Let's be honest, we're looking for peace, aren't we? get the bigger truck, I'll have peace. Maybe if I get that girl or that guy, then I'll have peace. Maybe if I get the right job or maybe if my kids will... Peace only comes from Jesus Christ and the peace that Jesus gives, the world can't offer. Peace to you, he says. Think about the peace Jesus brings. Sin covered, guilt gone. Is your guilt causing you stress today? Bring it to Jesus. He wants to give you peace. Is your shame... Messing with your soul today, bring your shame to Jesus. He wants to give you peace. Confess your sin. Peace means that death is conquered. When you die, you're going to die, but you're never going to die. And for many people, is that the worst fear? Death with Jesus. We don't have to fear death anymore. We have eternal life now and forevermore. We have peace knowing that God chose to do this for us. And if we choose him, we have God on our side in everything in life. We can have peace. Russell Moore says this, the gates of hell are torn down at the resurrection. Death is ripped apart. The right man is at the helm of the cosmos and you're worried about what again? Peace. He also gives us this lasting assurance. I love the disciples because they're so much like me. I'm a cynic at heart. I'm one of those like prove it to me guys. I don't just like, you tell me a story, I'm like prove it. Oh, I can dunk. Well, show me. The disciples are the same. They're like, we need proof. We need proof. I love how Jesus responds to the disciples. They, they don't believe him. These are the guys that walked with him and talked with him and ate with them. And I'd be offended. Really, fellas? Have I just wasted the last three years of my life putting into you? You know, Jesus, he's, not a, he's, not, he's not intimidated by the doubts and the fears. So he says, guys, guys, guys. He doesn't chastise. Look what he says. He says, come to me. Come to me. You have doubts. I know it. You're human. Come to me. Check it out. Every one of us in this room has doubts of some kind. You've doubted before. You may doubt today. I can't come to Jesus because I doubt. Well, here, Jesus says, in your doubts, just come. Let me prove myself to you. I will be faithful to my word. I will do what I need to do in your life. Just come. Here's how Jesus plays hide and seek. Like my daughter still sometimes plays hide and seek. Standing in the middle of the room going, <laughs> I'm not in this room, Daddy. He wants to be found, and, and he, he wants you to come. Fears, doubts, well, is God going to ruin my life? Is he going to take me a different direction? What if I'm wrong? What if my friends think I'm an idiot? Put all that aside, Jesus says, and just come. Just trust, come. Look what else God gives us. Through Jesus, concrete wisdom, verses 44 to 47. What's Jesus do for these men again? He un helps them understand the scriptures. When we have Jesus, the living Jesus, we have wisdom, concrete wisdom. We're not talking about having your IQ raised a couple levels or your greater, greater grade on your SAT scores. We're talking about wisdom. What's true wisdom in life? It's understanding the word of God. The smartest men in this world sometimes have no wisdom and the not so smart men have all the wisdom because they understand the word of God. God wants to help you understand his word through his Holy Spirit. The Bible, brothers and sisters, is not in a book of Jewish history or a religious piece of work or an antiquated writing or a self-help guide for the week. This is God's plan for all of humanity. This is a letter from God, the creator of life, that he gave us that we might know him and his character, that we may see his purpose in life, that we might know full meaning. How many people are walking around going, what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? Come to Jesus. He'll show you the meaning to, do, to life. I just can't grasp life. I just don't understand. I come to Jesus. That's why he's beckoning you to come, to save you, but to show you the meaning of life. The Bible is the most trustworthy book we have ever seen on this planet because it's been written by God through human authors and given to us. Written over 1,500 years in three different 
languages, three different continents by uh, 40 different writers from kings to shepherds to fishermen. And get this, is one unifying theme through the whole thing. Jesus Christ. Wisdom comes from Jesus Christ. Our lives revolve around Jesus. The whole cosmos revolves around Jesus. Like the cosmos, like the galaxies revolve around the sun. The whole universe revolves around God's son. He wants to give you wisdom. Look what else he wants to give you, inner power. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, which is the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Inner power. You have to understand this about the gospel. It's not just that God's gonna save us from our sin and our guilt and shame. He's saving us to a life of righteousness, a life living out his calling. It's not just what we're saved from, it's what we're saved to. How do we do that? We can't do it. Yes, we can by the power, the power, the dynamite that God is gonna put in our souls. Do you understand this of your resurrected life in Jesus Christ? That it's greater to have God in you than Jesus with you? It's greater to have God in you than Jesus with you because he will empower you to live out everything he's asked you to and to know a soul that's alive to the things of God, to know eternal life. The Holy Spirit gives us everything. What's this new life about? The new life is about the Holy Spirit living within us. He gives us courage uh, to get beyond the locked walls of our church or your house. Just like he's given the disciples courage to get past the locked walls of that little room to share the gospel. He gives us faith. He gives us hope. He gives us joy. He gives us love. He gives us wisdom. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Everything that we have, God is giving us. He gives us salvation and everything else too in the Holy Spirit. A comforter, a guide. One that's with us that will never have to be alone ever, ever again. That's why Paul says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want these things to be alive in me. Resonate with that? Jesus is alive, but I want to know the power of that. It's God's plan for every one of our lives. Last thing here, he gives us a fullness of blessing. I love how it ends. Jesus blesses them. We all want blessing, don't we? We want to be affirmed. We want people to want to succeed. We want people to think highly of us. No blessings matter in this life except for one, the one of Jesus Christ. You have Jesus blessing, you have everything. You miss Jesus blessing, you miss everything. What's blessing? It's a, the, the, the hand of God upon your life, a favor of God. Even in the worst of difficulties, the hardest of seasons, God promises us his blessing that he will be with us. And we've now found favor with him if we turn to him through faith and repentance. The resurrection, I could preach on this for hours, but there's more to come and I can't. This is why we celebrated Easter. Soul stirred a little bit this morning. This is why we celebrate. We serve a risen king. If you don't know our risen king today, let me invite you to come to know him today. He's beckoning you. He's calling you today. You've been in your sin far too long. Stop pretending it doesn't hurt. It does. Stop pretending it's not killing you. It is. Stop pretending you have all the answers. You don't. Stop thinking you're God, you're not. God is God and he's beckoning you to come. He's beckoning you to come. Here's how you come to Jesus today if you haven't done this yet. We've been praying all week that even one today would come to Jesus, one would come back to Jesus. It's simply this, confess your sin. Admit that I sin, I mess up all the time and I can't do it on my own, I'm a sinner. I've lived in sin and unbelief too long, Jesus. Give me belief. Call on Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord. Not just to save you, but then to be Lord over your life. You're not a believer if you just said, God, forgiveness of sins, you're just doing your own thing. It's Savior and Lord. Commit to living a life of daily surrender to him and continue to worship him for all the days of your life. It's that simple. Jesus wants us this Easter to encounter a risen Savior. Let's pray that this would be our reality today. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this amazing truth of Easter. We can't make this stuff up. 
We can hardly comprehend it. And yet, God, this is absolutely true today. For those in this room that know you as Lord and Savior, Father, we're living testimonies of the fact that you are alive. You revealed yourself to us. You've made our hearts burn with truth and hunger for your word. And we now celebrate this life-giving strength within us, living in the blessing of the Lord with the power of God. Awesome. Thank you, Lord, for taking wicked sinners like me on no merit of our own, but simply encountering us and giving us faith to believe and hearts to understand. We worship you today, God, and we want to live out your life every day of our lives. Help us with this. Afresh and new, may our souls encounter you. Father, I pray for those in this room who maybe know you or know of you but have never really surrendered to you. Those who've been told but don't really want to walk in your ways. Oh, God, today, would you erase the doubts? Would you erase the fears? Would you cause, Lord, Many in this place to bow before you, Father, and to say, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Would today be the day of salvation? Would today be the day that sinners come home? So desperately we need to be home with our God. Would today be the day you wake up the sleeping Christian? Would today be the day you drag back the wandering, rebellious son? or daughter, would today be the day that not one person leaves this room? This is our prayer, God. We don't care about the songs and the way we sang them. We don't care about the message and the way it was delivered or how much it maybe seemed good to us. What we long for, God, is every person to leave this place today, eyes wide to the truth of Jesus Christ, hearts worshiping you. For when we encounter you, this is what makes Easter. More than all the gatherings and all the hunts and all the food, this is what Easter is about, encountering the risen Lord. Oh God, do in our hearts what we can't do. What only you can in Jesus' name, amen.